So our mission statement here, I always like being way up front with people, completely up front. Our mission statement at our church is we want to share our lives uh, to make disciples of Jesus Christ and to set captives free. Okay, And that last phrase, to set captives free, I think that's a pretty difficult one for us to really understand. Um, and the reason is because sometimes we don't really understand what captivity and bondage uh, looks like. And the reason for that is because sometimes some captives are not easily recognizable. Okay, usually when we think captives, the really popular ones, and they're very true, are the drug addicts and the alcoholics, right? Um, and that's true. The Lord works that. But there's also other people that are just as captive, right? And these are people that are both Christian and uh, non-Christian. And so think of it this way. Um, I want you to think of a movie... <clears throat> Uh, think of a movie, a famous movie, and there's a bunch of them, there's not one answer, that has to do with people breaking out of a prison, right? Or it has to do with, maybe you're thinking of The Rock, where people break into the prison. Same type idea, right? Um, is that there's this, uh, think of, are, do you have a movie in mind? You probably have a couple, like some of them I'm thinking of, or I mentioned The Rock. What's another good one? Shawshank, Redemption, right? Um, what's another one? Can anyone... Escape from Alcatraz, yes. Uh, what's the one? Cool Hand Luke. Boy, that was disappointing. Golly. I, someone recommended me to that, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, but their initials are Travis White. He recommended that movie, and I watched it. Just save your, save your 90 minutes. It was, whew, it was rough, but it's a, it's a movie about a guy escaping uh, from prison, okay? And so all these movies, it's very easy to identify this guy's enslaved, this guy's captive. But the reality in our world is that, yes, some people it's easy to recognize that they're captive, but some people it's quite difficult, okay? And so I want to say two things today, uh, two points here, is that some people, and, and I'm talking sometimes about us, the difficulty of why sometimes setting captives free is so difficult is because, one, sometimes we don't even know that we're captive, and uh, number two, sometimes we choose to be in bondage, okay? I'll say that again. Number one is sometimes we don't even know that we've been taken captive to this thing, that we're in bondage. And then number two, sometimes we voluntarily choose to be in that uh, situation, okay? And so last week, if you remember, we looked at, are you in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9? Uh, we went over this last week. Uh, Paul says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and every authority. And so you remember last week we talked about our enemies, these enemies that have power and have authority. And we said two things. One, that you do have an enemy. And then number two, they do have some authority and power on earth, but only the authority given to them by God and allowed by us, right? <coughs> and so <clears throat> what Paul's going to do is he says, hey, if you, if you so choose, we can choose to still be captive to certain things, right? This is some of the authority that sometimes we give uh, to the world or give to Satan. And so this is what Paul does. He says, hey, I want to make sure and try to explain this to you. He says, this is what it means to say no to these powers and authorities and what it means to be alive in Christ. He says, I'm going to paint you a picture, and the picture is something that, uh, that the Lord uh, has already done, and that this is a picture that we continually do in church, and it's called baptism. He says, this is a physical image 
of what it means to be dead to the world and alive to Christ. And so read forward here real quick. Um, In verse 11, he says, In him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Look here. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Okay, so let me, I want to teach you guys real quick. Um, every, everybody in here is a full-time minister, and if someone ever comes up to you and says, hey, can you baptize me? Your answer should be, yeah, I'd love to. It's not something that has to be done by certain people. And so everybody, if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. Here's how you baptize someone. Is you push them under the water is step one. And then step two, don't forget step two is what? You pull them out of the water. Okay, now that's important, okay? If you're great at step one but not step two, we've got a problem there. So let me review real quick how to baptize someone. Step one, what? Push them under the water. Step two, pull them out of the water. Now, why is this important for Christians? Because this is an image that I am united with Christ in what? In his death. When you push someone under the water, that's an image of I have died to what? I've died to the world, and I've died to my old self. Now, here's the issue. If you leave someone under the water, what's going to happen? They're going to die. And they will not experience this new life, okay? And so this is why when we baptize, we're almost, almost every time I've ever baptized someone, I've always remembered, pull them out of the water. Why? Because this is an image of, and, and hear me say this, guys, it's not just about I've died to sin, but it's also that now I'm alive to Christ, okay? Those are two sides of the same coin. If you hear us say a lot in here, don't leave Jesus on the cross. Have you ever heard me say that? Don't leave Jesus on the cross. If you leave Jesus on the cross, you are, it's the same thing as if you have been baptized but you never came back up. It's the same thing as if you are 1,000% focused on, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to this world. And if your focus is on that, then you will never have a focus on coming up and living this new life. That's why here we say, don't leave Jesus on the cross. This is why uh, the evangelical cross is empty, and the Catholic cross still has Jesus on it. That's Catholic Christianity, this idea of we have to keep going back, going back, going back, because the sacrifice of Christ was sufficient once for all time, for all time. And now what? Now we walk in this uh, new life. And so why is this such a challenge? Is because if you're like me, we tend to go back to those thoughts of, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I can't. And we can lose our focus off of walking in this new life, and our focus can become on just uh, sin management and religious tasks. Let me say that again. Sometimes our focus, if it becomes off of Christ, it becomes sin management and religious tasks. For many men, unfortunately, I have just described a relationship with Christ. If you talk to a lot of men, what does it mean to be a part of church? Well, it means you attend the service, and then what? That's it. Like, right? And, and this is why if you talk with, with and, and women too, I'm not picking on the men, because I'm, I'm a man, you may have noticed, so I can at least speak to this right, is if our focus is off of a living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ, then our life, our walk 
becomes sin management and religious tasks. And we always want to go back to that. Do you remember when Jesus lays, raised Lazarus from the dead? Do you remember that? Where they, the people show up and they say Lazarus is dying and, and Jesus waits a couple days and then he goes to the grave. And then Jesus gets to the grave and he speaks loudly. He says, Lazarus, come out. Which, by the way, there's only three times where Jesus proclaims his voice like that. That's one of them. Do you think it's strange that Jesus yelled at a dead guy? Have you ever thought about that? A guy whose, whose uh, ability to hear has, was severely impaired, meaning he couldn't hear. Why was he yelling? Because he wasn't talking to Lazarus. He was talking to everybody else, right? And, and anyways, and so Lazarus comes out of the grave. And do you remember the story? What's Lazarus wearing? He still has on those dead grave clothes. And Jesus looks at him and says, bro, take those off. Why? Because you have a new life now. Don't focus on the death. Focus on your life here. Okay? And so uh, my, my first thing I said was, again, we're talking about captives today. Number one, I said, why is this so difficult? Is because some of us who are in Christ, who have the fullness of Jesus in us right here, right? Some of us still struggle with we, we find ourselves in the grave again. And we find ourselves putting on those, those old clothes. And why is this so difficult is because we don't know that we're captive. Are you in Luke chapter 11? I'm just going to reference this real quick. Do you remember we read this last week? And this is a, a short little type parable uh, that, that Jesus said. It's in every one of the synoptic gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But it's very short. He's talking about... Uh, he's talking about demonic forces Luke chapter 11 um, verse 24 and he gives this story of oppression he gives this story this is not a story of being possessed it's a story of being oppressed maybe by a sin pattern or maybe uh, just by uh, demonic oppression honestly and Jesus says this he says verse 24 when an evil spirit comes out of a man it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it then it says I will return to the house I left when it arrives, it finds the house, look at this, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse <clears throat> than the first. Okay, And so this is a parable Jesus says of, this is a, a remember a parable is just kind of a, a visual picture. He says this is a visual picture of a person who is, has, un, has some sort of sin pattern or is under some sort of oppression, and he manages by his own efforts to kick that out, to, 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 to find freedom. Does everyone see my fingers? To, to find what he would call freedom. And he, he has apparent success, but his success is only based on not doing the bad thing. Do you see that? <clears throat> his, his view is not on Christ. His view is on sin management. Okay, and he gets apparent success. And Jesus says what happens is when that thing returns, <coughs> it comes back stronger than ever. And the final uh, condition of the man is worse. And you may think, why is the final condition of that man worse? Think of it this way. <coughs> we'll do an easy example. Um, the guy who's an alcoholic for 30 years. Th this, this explains this parable. If he wakes up and says, I'm going to stop drinking alcohol. Right, if he goes to the program, um, he does the steps, and he, at the end of the program, he has successfully stopped drinking alcohol. But in his heart, he still burns for it every single day. Is that man free? No, 
Does he think, could he think that he's free? Yes. This, this is what it means when, when Jesus says the final condition of that man is actually worse than it was. Why is it worse? Because he's now in bondage, but he thinks he's free. He has walked from one prison cell into another one. That's it, right? His, his old prison cell used to be, I have to have a drink. That used, that used to be his life. I can't not have a drink. That was his bondage. And then through his own efforts, he cleans up his house, like Jesus is saying. And when he comes out on the other side, his new prison cell is no longer, I have to have a drink. But now this is his prison cell. I have to not have a drink. And he's just as much in captivity as he was. Because both of them are focused on sin management. On the outside, how does this guy look? Looks good, right? He could show up to church. He could say, I haven't had a drink in three years. And, and we applaud that. But if the, if the source of that is not focused on Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in him, Jesus says his final condition is worse than it was at first. Because he doesn't even know that he's captive yet. Um, it's just two sides of the same coin. Uh, my, I have written down here, my summary is, the best way to avoid Christ is to avoid sin. If you spend your life avoiding sin, counting your sins, counting your mistakes, you will spend your life avoiding uh, Christ. Um, do you remember I, I mentioned a prison is, a show, I, one that I doubt anyone thought of. Um, I think it's from the 2000s. I probably should have looked it up. Do you remember the show Truman Show? You remember that? Uh, that was a story show, starring, you had Jim Carrey in it, and the, the story, if you haven't seen it yet, and I'm not going to ruin anything. Well, actually, I am. <laughs> Never mind. I'm about to ruin the whole thing. Sorry. The, the, the movie is that there's this guy, his name's Truman, and that a network television bought him when he was born, and this network created an entire city that was a stage. And, and so Truman, his entire life was on television, but never knew it, right? And so remember earlier I said, think of a prison show, of a guy escaping out of prison. The one I'm thinking of is Truman Show. Now, why is that? Because it was a guy that's held against his will, but uh, he wasn't able to get out. And in my opinion, and in the opinion of Jesus, Truman was in a worse position than the guys at Alcatraz. Why? Because he did not know that he was in captivity. Do you follow me on that? As, this, as that movie progresses, what happens is he slowly starts to recognize I'm, something's not right here. He begins to see that the world he lives in is fake, false, fabricated. Okay, And don't miss this. The world was very nice. You remember the show? He had a nice, happy job. He had a great neighborhood, but he wasn't free. And what he started to recognize was he was not able to escape even if he wanted to. Okay? And that's actually the grace of God in Truman's life, okay? And, and this is what I mean when I say sometimes we walk out of one prison cell into another one. And I want to make sure as believers that sometimes we're aware of what, what's holding me captive. Because we may find freedom from something, but then when you get into this new freedom, you start looking around. And don't, don't miss, guys, the prison cell can be pretty nice, right? Like it was for Truman. You can look around and you can say, this is great, it's roomy. There can even be friends in your prison cell. Hey, hey, there's Jake. Hey, there's Mike. You, got, you guys are here. And you think you're in freedom. And then over time, 
what happens is you go up to the windows and you say, hey, why are there bars on the windows? And someone says, oh, that's for your safety to keep. Oh, and you say, okay, okay, okay. And then over time, you go to open the door and you realize it's jammed. And you, see, and you talk to the, your, your new uh, landlord and say, hey, the, the door is stuck. I can't open it. And he says, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. It just sticks sometimes, right? And the reality is that you're in prison again, okay? Is that you're in captive, uh, captivity. And this is what happened uh, to Truman. Um, and he finally, well, I'll tell you what happens here in just a minute. So that's why it's difficult. You know, we're talking about setting captives free. That's why what's so difficult is one of the reasons is uh, sometimes we don't know that we're captive, like Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, and our, our final condition um, is actually worse than the beginning. And the second reason is sometimes we actually choose uh, bondage. Are you still in Colossians? Flip back there. Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> I'll just pick it up in verse 12 to pick up where we've come from. Paul says, Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. And so pause there. Remember, don't miss the emphasis here. The gospel is not that Jesus takes bad people and makes them good. The gospel is he takes dead people and makes them Alive Again, this image is in uh, baptism, is that we put people under the water, and what's step two? Pull them out. Okay, some of y'all weren't paying attention at all. Okay, it's not just about being dead to sin, but it's also about being alive in Christ. And look, he says right there, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. That's past, present, and future okay and so the reason I say this is is if you're like me sometimes I can take my focus off of the Lord and instead focus on my performance and I've just entered into a new prison cell at that point even if my performance is great by the way do y'all hang out with me I'm pretty awesome by the way have we spent time together Uh uh-huh some of y'all are laughing the ones that are laughing are the people that have hung out with me just I'll let you think on that for a minute No, is you can look at Russell, or I guess I could say I can look at Russell and look at my performance and say I'm doing all these great things, and they're good things, but it's just a fancy prison cell. It's just like I'm Truman, trapped again, if my focus is off of the Lord. Um, Anyways, verse, verse 14, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it all away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities. There's that, that phrase again that we studied last week. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And then because all of that is true, he now goes into practical application. That's why verse 16, what's the first word right there? Therefore. Okay, so therefore, <clears throat> since this is all true... Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Skip down to verse 20. We'll talk more about that next week. Verse 20, listen to this. He says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, and then he asks a question, he says, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? 
So what Paul's saying here is what we've already talked about. He's saying, hey, you guys are, are free to walk in freedom. And he's saying this question. He's saying, why are you choosing to walk in bondage? You remember that's the second thing I said. The reason it's difficult to always to necessarily uh, point out who is in captive or where am I captive is because sometimes, remember, sometimes we don't know we're captive, number two, sometimes we choose to be in bondage. And this is what Paul says. He says, why, why do you still behave as if you, uh, why do you submit to its rules? Uh, verse 21, he gives examples. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Okay, And so what Paul's saying there is he says, Dear Christians, remember this was written to Christians. He's not trying to convince them to become Christians. He's trying to convince them to grow in their Christianity. He's trying to convince them to grow in who they are. And this is one of the warning passages. He says, hey guys, don't step back into bondage. And he asks, he asks this rhetorical question. He says, why, why do you act as if you're enslaved to the world again? Why are you choosing to do this? Right? Um, in the original language in the New Testament, the word bondage in Greek, it means to be a slave. And it means to be enslaved both involuntarily and voluntarily. And so biblically, there are times when it speaks of being in bondage and I have chosen it. Don't miss that. That we're in bondage and I have chosen it. So this is what this looks like. Let's get really, really practical. Uh, this is a question that I ask and I'm not, I don't ever try to make people feel bad, but I think it's fair to at least ask is guys, believers, some of y'all are in bondage to your calendar. Like you are enslaved to busyness, right? This is why in our culture, over and over and over, hey, how you been? What's been going on? What's the answer? Always, what's the answer? Busy. I've been busy. I can't even finish this sentence. I've been so busy. Super busy. Super duper busy, right? And, and I want to lovingly say this. Dear Christian, everybody in this room, listen to me. Why have you chosen to be so busy? Why have you put yourself under that bondage? D did you know, within reason, did you know that you're in control of your calendar? Did you know that the Lord has, I'm going to use this word, He has stewarded us a certain amount of time on this earth, and that we are to take that time and to use it carefully? Did you know that? In the same way that God has stewarded us gifts, in the same way that He's stewarded us finances, in the same way that He's stewarded us health and family, we're to take all those things and use them for the Lord. And some of us are walking in absolute bondage to our calendar. Right? And again, probably my fourth time to say it, I'm not trying to pick on anyone, but I want to ask this question Why have you chosen to be so busy? Like, please remember this the Lord has given you exactly exactly enough time in every day to do exactly what he wants you to do. Did you know that? He has given you just enough time to do everything that he's called you to do. Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel like there's not enough time in the day? Do you feel exhausted? Well, then we need to back up and say, I may not be listening to Lord's guidance in my life on the calendar, right? Um, 
that's an example of we have people that I don't think they know they're in bondage. They think this is just the way it is, right? Or we can play the same game with finances, right? That we listen to what the world tells us to do with our finances. My gosh, several years ago when Kinsey and I first went to get a mortgage, the, they look at your money and the bank says, hey, here's how much you can afford on a mortgage. And it was way more than we were comfortable spending. But I'm going to tell you a secret. The bank doesn't care. Did you know that? The bank doesn't care. They're going to look and say, we think we can squeeze this much money out of you, right? And you want to describe the world, it's I'm going to squeeze the life out of you and get everything I can out of you, right? But yet you have Christians that are, let me, let me describe so many believers' lives right now. I, I wake up in the morning, I get in a car that I don't own to drive to a job I don't really like, to pay for a house that I can't afford and that I'm never home in so I can afford to have someone else raise my children so that I can buy nice clothes to impress people I don't like. That's Christian culture right there, right? And the Lord says, hey, we need to be a little bit set apart, a little bit different. You want to talk about people being enslaved to their finances, that's it right there, friend. Um, This is a personal story where Kinsey and I have found incredible freedom. It's about a five-year story. Um, No, it's probably more than that, probably about a seven or eight-year story that we started kind of looking, like Jesus said, I've come so that you can have life and have it to the fullest. And what I've just described ain't life. What I just described is not the life Jesus said. And I'm not saying we all need to be hippies and live in a commune and eat beets and onions that we grow from the earth. That's not what I'm saying. Like, I have a job, okay? (laughs) I work. I pay for things. I drive a car. I'm not on like a mule or something. Uh, But point being, about six or eight years ago, Kinsey and I looked, looked at the standard of, well, what does it mean to be successful of what I've just described? And we said, this is stupid. And we said this, and we looked at, at the time, we even looked at our home, and we had a big house. Literally, we had like, we had two living rooms, which, as I say it, I was like, how, why do we have two living rooms? We can only live in one at a time. We had a dining room that we just ended up putting a TV in there. Like, we just had all this space we didn't need, and we started looking and saying, this is stupid. We don't want to, we don't want to run this rat race. We want to have freedom. We want to have financial freedom. And so, anytime in our culture, when you talk about financial freedom, if this is how much money you need, and this is how much money you make, what the culture is going to tell you to do is they say, well, just what? Just make more money, Right? Just work harder. Just work 80 hours a week. Just do it. And, and the culture will say, this is where financial freedom is. And that's correct. But this is what we did. We felt like the Lord told us to do this. Instead of making more money, we stopped and looked at each other. And, and this may blow your mind. We said, what if we just needed less stuff? And we were like, wow, that's, that's my, why is that mind-blowing? Because that's so counter-cultural. And so years ago, we started down this path of let's Pay off our student debt as soon as we can. Let's make sure you don't have any debt. Financially, we made some rules for our household that we're going to be smart with our money. Uh, we sold our house. How big was our house? 2,600 square feet, something like that. It was big. At the time when we bought it, there were only two of us, right? That's 1,300 square foot per person. I only take up like three square feet, like three. I don't need 1,300, okay? And so we started down this path. We sold, and I'm telling you, this is, this is our story. There's... There's some areas in my life where I still struggle with bondage, but this is one where I can speak personally. The Lord has delivered us from this, is that we sold our house, 
and we moved into an apartment. And you may say, what was the plan? And we said, we don't know. We moved into a two-bedroom two apartment, um, and that was at the time when we just had Ross. So there was four of us, two-bedroom apartment, which you can do it. It's okay. Um, and we, we started experiencing this thing called freedom, right? And our cars, uh, I drive a, don't get jealous, it's a 2002 Dodge Ram, <clears throat> and Kinsey drives a 2006 uh, uh, caravan, Dodge Caravan, um, and they both got some miles on them, but they're paid for, right? We don't have a, we don't have a car payment, right? And, and we moved into this apartment, and our plan was we don't know. We're, hopefully the Lord's going to open some doors. And we lived there for about eight or nine uh, months. And then long story short, we ended up uh, moving about five minutes south of here. And right now, and what I'm about to say, people have, their jaw has dropped when I've told them this. Right now we live in a single-wide uh, mobile home. But it's paid for, brother. It's mine. It may not be nice. It may be a piece of junk. But it's my piece of junk. It's not the bank's. Right, and so right now, again, this is about a six or eight year journey. Uh, right now, where we sit is we don't have a house payment, we don't have a mortgage, uh, we don't have a car payment, we don't have credit card um, payments. Um, Kinsey doesn't uh, well; she doesn't work financially. She works. She's a stay at home mom. Um, I work uh, to for both sides um, for the whole family. Here's my entire point is that we felt like the Lord said to us, I don't want you to be in bondage to your finances, and I don't want you to run the rat race, because there's so many people that they're in bondage, but they don't even realize it, and they've chosen to be. They've chosen to be. And so this, I always like telling this story, because it's one of success that I can say, man, it, it's been so cool to walk this path. And people don't get it. People do not get it. Like when we first uh, moved into the mobile home, we were so excited, and we loved it, and it's nice, you know. Uh, when we first moved in, we would have people that would, that would check in on us, but, but they would ask, hey, how you doing? But their how you doing wasn't really like, how you doing? It was, it was one of these, it was like, hey, how y'all doing, you know? And we would, like, we would be like, oh, we're great. Like, do you know something I don't know? We're, we're doing great, and the world, they didn't understand. They didn't get it. Why is that? Because, and again, I don't ever want to villainize anyone, because they're Truman. They're Truman. They're living in a false world that they might be imprisoned, and they don't even realize it. They've never tasted freedom. And their false world might be really nice. But here's the thing about Truman's world. It was very tiny. Very tiny. And one of the prayers we have in our household is, Lord, keep our world big. God, keep our world big, right? When I start noticing the things I complain about, when I start lamenting about the traffic in Tyler, when I start lamenting about bad cell phone service, when I start lamenting about Chewy's Mexican food really isn't that good because it's really not. When, I st- when, those, when those are the things I start lamenting about, what I've done is my world has gotten very, 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 very tiny. And so that's one of our prayers is, Lord, keep our world big, that we are not captive to our own tiny little world, right? Um, Okay, uh, last thing I'll say here, Um, I just want to point out that this is not about, if if your focus is on pursuing sin or not pursuing sin, you're still in bondage. You're still in bondage, okay? Uh, That's not freedom. It's not. Um, 
and, and my guess is you've left Jesus on the cross, and maybe you've even been baptized, but you're still under the water. You need to come up for air. Don't stay under the water. Uh, I want you to instead, instead of focusing on sin, which is doing, to put our focus on Christ and being and living in this uh, new life. Uh, the last thing I'll say, when we lived at that house, our big house, I had a big yard, and it was so nice. I like having a big yard, and it was nice. I like mowing the yard. I like it. I like maintaining it. And we had a sprinkler system that would just draw water out of the little river behind our house. Or it wasn't a river. What was it? Like the water drainage system for the city. It's an <laughs> urban river, I guess. And so I could water the grass as much as I wanted. It didn't cost anything. And I would fertilize it. Um, once a year, I'd fertilize it, and then I'd mow. I had a real nice mower, and so I'd mow, you know, and I enjoyed it. And, and I would have people come up, not all the time, but, but this literally happened at least two times I can think of, that people would come up and they would say, man, your, your grass is nice. And they were right. It was very nice. But then they'd say this. They'd say, how many weeds do you sit and pull in your yard? My gosh, it must be astronomical. And here's the truth. Do you want to know how many weeds I pulled? Zero. None. I never pulled a single weed. Not one. Here's what I did. Was I focused on the grass? And don't miss this. And the grass choked out the weeds. Are you following me on that? Is I could choose to be on my knees every day. Get rid of these weeds. It's going to make my... mm -mm. Didn't do it. Not once. Instead, I watered the grass... And I let the grass do what grass does. And the grass choked out the weeds. Are you following me on this? If your focus is on doing or not doing, you will be on your knees pulling weeds the rest of your life. You will be exhausted. You will never get to stand up and enjoy your yard. Ever. Okay? Or if your focus is on, I need to nurture and focus on fellowship with Jesus Christ, then He will take care of the weeds. Are you following me on that? I'm telling you, man, and that's freedom. That's freedom. If you pull the weeds, will you have a nice yard? You probably will, but you will exhaust yourself, and you'll never be able to enjoy it. Or, man, just water the grass. And I, don't, I, didn't, I promise you, I didn't, at night I didn't go to bed thinking, the weeds. The weeds are coming. No. <clears throat> what I did, and, and this is Christian freedom, by the way, I watered the grass, and then I went and slept. And I rested, and I would, I'd get to walk by and say, man, this, this yard looks good. And other people would even notice. They'd say, man, tell me about your yard. And I got to look at them and say, I never pulled a single weed. I just focused on the grass. This is what it means to make sure you're coming up out of the water when you're baptized, right? Don't stay underwater. Come up out of the water, and, and then it's now live this new life, focusing on your fellowship with Christ and his people uh, just water the grass and watch the weeds die out. I'm telling you, man. And that's the words of Paul. He says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why do you still, as though you still belong to it, why do you submit to its rules? The rules of this world are sin management and religious tasks. I'm telling you. In our culture, because we live in a Christian culture, sin management and religious tasks versus just pursuing and, and, and knowing who you are um, in uh, Christ. Don't pull the weeds. Don't worry about it, guys. Let me pray for us. Let's pray uh, for this. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for today. And God, thank you that, that you are our life. God, thank you that you're not on the cross. Lord, the cross is empty. And Jesus, thank you the grave is empty as well. 
And Lord, um, I, our prayer is that we wouldn't hang out in the grave, that we wouldn't hang out um, underwater, God. But just like you told Lazarus, hey, come out of there. And, and then you told him, take off those old clothes. Lord, I pray that we would daily come out of the grave and take off those clothes, that we wouldn't be in bondage. Lord, we want to see captives set free. And so I want to end the way we began. Lord, I pray for our hearts right now. <clears throat> I pray that some of our, well, the reality is some of us have hardened our hearts to where we can't hear your truth. And we're in bondage, but we have, our, our hearts are so calloused and rock hard in certain places, we can't hear what you're saying. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do what you miraculously do, and you would soften our hearts, and you would speak truth to them so that we would then receive it and that we could live in this new life. And Lord, some of us in here, we're, maybe we're consumed with, we're obsessed with, you could even say oppressed with, just trying to do the right thing. We're just obsessed with doing and not doing, and we're, maybe we still keep track, I screwed up here, I messed up here, and Lord, I, I pray that we would just let those things go. Those are done. Those are nailed to the cross. <clears throat> and you defeated it. You defeated death. You defeated uh, the grave. So help us, some of us, to come up out of the water of our baptism. Help some of us to walk out of the grave into this new life. God, help some of us to stop pulling weeds and just water the grass. And then watch you do what you do. The grass chokes out the weeds. Uh, Lord, this is what it means to live by the Spirit. God, this is our prayer uh, collectively. This is not my prayer. Lord, this is our prayer. This is the prayer of this church that we want to see captives set free and walk in freedom that they've never known, that they've never known. So this is our prayer, Lord. Amen.